On the show this week, I talk to leading commentator and strategist on financial markets, Chris Skinner. We chat about fintech, blockchain, cryptocurrency, and why corporate change is difficult in established financial businesses. Welcome to episode 155 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh, helping you keep your marketing strategy simple and the BS at bay. Hey folks and welcome to the show. Thanks as always for downloading or streaming the Marketing and Finance podcast. I really do appreciate you taking the time to plug me and my guests into your earphones. I trust you've had a really successful start to the new year and everything's looking really positive for 2018. I'm really excited about my guest this week, Chris Skinner. This is a high profile commentator and strategist on financial markets and we're going to dig deep on fintech, blockchain, cryptocurrency and lots more subjects. We chat about what Chris believes is holding financial organisations back, how some companies are embracing change, why financial services companies need a technologist on the leadership team, how consumers respond to new technologies, how small businesses can apply new technologies, and what blockchain and cryptocurrencies mean for the future. So let's get straight into that interview with Chris right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Chris Skinner, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thanks, Roger. Nice to be here. Chris, tell me, where are we Skyping each other from? Of course, I'm in Edinburgh, as always. Uh, today, because it's almost Christmas, you find me at home uh, in Kent, whereas normally you'd find me in the lounge of British Airways. <laughs> <laughs> I've spent a lot of years in the lounge of British Airways as well, although recently I did lose my silver card because since becoming an independent consultant, I do tend to travel easy jet, I'm afraid now. I still do BA, but you have to buy your own Monks and Spencer sandwiches these days. <laughs> That's right. Chris, you are a worldwide and leading commentator and strategist on financial markets. You're the chief executive of the Financier and also the chairman of the Financial Services Club. And you've got a particular focus and commentating um, expertise on fintech. So I'd really like to dive into that and talk to you about that today. But maybe before we get into that, perhaps you could give the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast a little bit of background about yourself, where you came from, how your career developed, and, and basically what makes Chris Skinner tick. Um, well, I spent all my life working with technology companies. So some people think that I'm actually a banker mm -hmm. by background, but I'm not. In fact, if anything, I'm an insurance guy by background in that back in the day, uh, I was selling office automation systems to insurance companies. I thought, how can I automate the insurance office if I don't understand how they work? So yeah. I took the uh, ACII qualifications over a couple of years and evenings and uh, spent most of my time uh, marketing and selling and uh, delivering technology into insurance firms across the UK. And I actually ended up um, working for NCR in their uh, ATM financial services division as the head of their insurance vertical market focus. And I persuaded them to close it down because right. I said, you really don't have an insurance market focus as a vertical. Uh, it's a banking focus. And so I then ended up running strategy for NCR and strategy for Unisys. And in 2002, uh, I had my second career-defining moment of being uh, made redundant for the mm -hmm. second time. And um, 
at being a heavy hitting marketing and salesperson, uh, couldn't find another job of the same stature. And whilst I was looking for another job of the same stature, started doing some hobbies, which was drinking with people in financial services <laughs> um, and writing about it. And yeah. actually that's now become what I do full time. So I drink with a lot of people in the financial services club, in Nordic finance innovation, and also in all the conferences that I go to around the world. And I write a blog every single day about the future of financial services and technology, which everyone now calls fintech at thefinancer.com. I mean, that's really interesting that you've developed um, an interest and effectively a career around technology. And uh, we've got similar backgrounds in that I, I started in insurance marketing. I worked my way up through um, various financial services companies into marketing director roles. And I took a, a very close interest in the development of digital technology. I was one of the first people in our company to ever switch on Twitter. I was very interested in, in getting into video quite early and looking at the um, emerging um, apps for phones. But what I found was that there was quite a lot of resistance within, particularly within the sector of the financial services industry that I was working in, which at the time was, was insurance. And it was almost as if, well, we've got all these regulatory problems. We don't really want to risk get, getting into this area, certainly not social media. And things like apps and technology, we've got all sorts of issues around data leakage and, and protecting the IT estate. And I just felt that this was just not forward thinking enough and it was almost like an excuse. And that was one of the things that ultimately prompted me to leave big corporate, as I call it, and, and move out and, and become a consultant on my own. So I, I guess we, our, our paths have gone down a similar way to a certain extent. What do you think the fear is? And is it a fear or is it just an, an excuse not to want to embrace change? Well, I mean, I talk extensively these days about the problem with leadership in financial services. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that the leaders of most insurance companies and the financial institutions are people who have been ingrained with resisting change because it's all about regulation, compliance and risk. Mm -hmm. And yet now the wave of digital change that's coming through the industry is transforming every aspect of insurance, investment, asset management, in, uh, banking, every part of the system is being transformed by specialist companies focused on techno technology change. Mm. Nearly all of those companies are led by people who are millennials. Yes. Uh, you know, people in their 20s are creating banks, for example. Uh, and if you don't believe me, go and look at Loot, which was started by a 21-year-old dropout, dropout from Manchester University. Um, and you know, it's th this is what's changing that people with technology can create banking and insurance services overnight and become massively influential. I mean, the, one of the biggest fintech unicorns out there is Stripe, mm -hmm. that was started by a teenager. You know, Patrick Collins was 19 years old when he started Stripe with his brother, John. And when you go into a bank store insurance company's boardroom, you find a lot of old men. You don't find that diversity. And without that diversity, they'll never get digital change. Yeah, it's very interesting. I've found myself in very similar meetings where people, and I include myself within this group, sit round tables and try to come up with solutions to the problems that we feel that we have. And sometimes you sit there and think, you know, we are the problem here. Yep. It isn't I mean, the if, systems. It's, if it's you us. were sitting in a boardroom and talking and debating around the differences between machine learning, deep learning, and artificial intelligence, or between distributed ledger technology and blockchain and cryptocurrencies, mm. I think most of the boardroom executives' eyes would glaze over because they wouldn't have a clue what you were talking about. And yet these are the technologies that are transforming the industry. And if you don't actually have an, an innate understanding of how that's going to change the institution, then the institution will just wither on the vine. 
Yeah, and I guess that's what's happening in the banking sector, isn't it? You've already mentioned Loot, obviously Metro Bank, etc., Monzo, all of these things developing and doing things different, whilst the the legacy banks, I guess, are just plodding along as they always have done. They're not all as bad as that. Mm. I mean, there are quite a number of companies that are doing interesting things. I mean, mm. a good example is AXA Insurance has partnered with a startup called Trov in the InsureTech mm-hmm. space, where you can insure items for a few hours as you take them out of the house. Yes. Uh, so you don't have to take out an annual insurance policy anymore. You just insure as you need during um, the day. Uh, and that's where I see innovation coming from. And I see the same with some of the banks, that they have created innovation structures to try and nurture change. But the thing that I point to, and, and this is really where I think the, the fundamental challenge lies, is that if you looked at the CVs of the executives who lead financial institutions, nearly all of them have, have never had any professional technology experience in mm. any role in their life. Mm. And yet now we're talking about digital insurance, digital banking, fintech, and half of that phraseology is technology. So if you don't have anyone who's a technologist in the leadership team, you'll never change. And in fact, the fundamental issue here is that the change is not about technology, it's about culture. And going back to what you said, Roger, around why you left the big corporate, is that the culture is one that stifles change. Yes. And yet change is dramatically happening rapidly today with technology. And if you stifle it, then you're just not going to succeed. And do these companies, do they see this happening or are they just going to wither on the vine like you say? No, I mean, a lot of them do see what's happening and they're trying to adapt. But um I don't want to name names, but I'll just say that there's two very big banks in Spain. (laughs) Give it away. Um, One of which is always written about with um, some degree of uh, recognition that they are a digital financial leader, Mm. uh, BBVA, led by Francisco Gomez Gonzalez, who was a programmer when he started his career. So Mm -hmm. he leads the bank. He's brought in a lot of digital intimate leaders to the lead c-suite of the bank mm. and then the other bank is led by a, a daughter of a career banker anna Botan. and what you see as a difference is that culturally i can see right through the organization leadership team of bbva changing the bank to be digital mm. but i don't see it in santander mm. and the part of the reason is that it's not got the leadership program. It's got the investment. It's got the recognition, but it hasn't got the leadership. And I'll just finish that one by saying that um, one of the CIOs of a bank in Australia called ANZ lost his job. And I won't say it's because of me, but I did actually <laughs> spend five days writing about how stupid their bank was to be proud of a 40-year-old legacy system, yeah. which uh, a year ago, 2016, this was. So they then brought in a new lady to change the bank called Mel Carnegie, formerly the CEO of Google Australia and New Zealand. And she talked at a conference recently about the biggest challenge of changing the bank is the frozen middle. Mm. And what she means is that frozen middle management that doesn't want to change, but resist change, doesn't accept that they can do things differently, fear of losing their jobs, fear of doing things that might fail. And yet these are all the things that you have to embrace when you're turning digital. So you have to change the frozen middle's culture and thinking. And that's a fundamental leadership program. It's not an investment in technology or just a project. It's interesting you should mention the company Trove. Um, I had a look at them 
last year uh, because I was working with a life insurance company. And of course, most life insurance policies are still written as they have been written for many, many decades, you know, 25 year term. And once you take it out, it's effectively it's inflexible. There's not a lot you can do with it. And all of a sudden, albeit I think Trove is more about insuring a mobile phone as you leave the house for a couple of days, as you said, as opposed to an insurance of the person. But that principle of saying you don't have to insure it for a year, you can insure it for a shorter period of time, again, ultimately is going to have to transfer itself into the more traditional types of products like term insurance and critical illness cover, because sometimes people are going to want to say, only cover me for six months because I'm going to work in uh, Dubai or something like that. But I think just as there are that middle tier in the banks, I guess there's that middle tier in financial services and insurance who are similarly resistant to change and have to look to um, what customers actually want as opposed to what they think they want. There are. And I think the biggest thing that, um, again, I talk and write a lot about is that everything in financial services from insurance to banking was invented as part of the development of the industrial revolution as we became very commercial and started to build much, many more products and therefore have many more risks in factories and manufacturing. Um, and that's certainly true of the insurance products that you've just highlighted, Roger, and it's true of why banks exist, which they were created as part of the industrial revolution to issue checks and become trusted value stores licensed by governments. Mm. And what is happening is that nearly all of the companies I deal with are trying to do insurance cheaper and faster with technology or banking cheaper and faster with technology. In other words, they've got a horse and they're making it a faster horse. Yes. And yeah, I keep saying, no, guys, because what we've got here is a fundamental shift in the product and the thinking. And what you need to start try and find is the automobile, not a faster horse. How would you create a car with technology? And I see that happening right now, mainly in Africa uh, and Asia. So, you know, I chair a conference in Rwanda every year, and I'm quite often in Kenya and South Africa and Nigeria. And the the dramatic shift to financial inclusion in those markets has been absolutely incredible. Mm -hmm. And it's all based around micro insurance, micro savings, micro investing. So I could get on my phone and insure myself for the day for 10p, mm. you know, and, and that's where I see the fundamental shift of different thinking because they're saying you don't have to do these big complex products last years. You can just do things for a few seconds with a micro payment. Do you think the end customer understands all of these possibilities? It's interesting you use the faster horses um, example there because uh, I, I remember having a similar conversation um, again with an insurance company about developing new products. And as a traditional marketer, I always like to think that I would always start with identifying a customer need, a customer desire, and building a product around providing a solution to that. But sometimes, and if you think back to before the automobile, if you were to ask somebody what they wanted, they would say, I want a faster horse, because they hadn't conceived of the concept of the automobile. So do you think that the consumer actually knows what they can have in the environment we're in at the moment because change is happening so quickly? And if they don't know what they can have, how do we actually determine what they want? Well, I mean, most consumers would not know 
what the possibilities are because they haven't thought of them. Mm. Uh, and so, for example, going back to the faster horse illustration, I've got a slide in my presentation deck from 1825, a vision of the future. And one of them was a steam powered horse to get <laughs> yeah. rid of manure on the streets, yeah. basically, um, which is a big issue back then. And so it was the vision of a faster horse with technology. But consumers very quickly embrace things that they recognize can improve their lives or mm. are just cool. So you know, the iPhone is only 10 years old, and yet the smartphone is now pervasive everywhere, and we live in our phones, basically. Mm. Um, the idea of Uber you know, wasn't around seven years ago, and yet forgetting the cultural issues of Uber, you know, the, it's immediately recognized that this is better because I can get a taxi without having to go and find one on the street and I can pay for it within the app so I don't have to have any cash on me. You know, these things immediately make sense, but they wouldn't work if it wasn't for the open marketplace of technologies allow things to be easily plugged and played and integrated mm -hmm. that's you know, uber's system works on google maps basically through apis yeah uh, the apple store and what apple does these days is all driven by developers that are doing very small specialized things on their platform and this is where i see a huge difference so for example i've got a new book coming out in march called digital digital human and it's all about inclusion of everybody in this digital network and within that there's a company that i have written a case study around 30,000 word case study on Ant Financial. Mm -hmm. And you may not know them, but they are the biggest payment system in China as part of Alibaba. Uh, and they've also not just a payment system, but they have a savings fund, insurances, banking services. And they've risen in China from nothing in 2003 to a giant. And to illustrate how big they are, 540 million Chinese consumers spending over $5 trillion in mobile apps in China, and most of that driven through the Ant Financial platform. The Ant Financial platform does art, uh, artificial intelligence analytics on every transaction, and there's currently about 125,000 transactions per second rising to a million in their next generation architecture. And the AI does all the risk analytics and fraud analytics on every transaction all day long. So 100 billion transactions a day. You know, this is something that is not even thought of a few years ago and yet it's been released by this digital rave wave of change and to me it's saying if you want to see where the innovation is coming from go and look at markets that were excluded before chinese citizens didn't have checkbooks they didn't have credit and debit cards that's the reason why they've all immediately switched to the mobile telephone um equally same in africa when you go around the african nations they didn't have anything before and now they have something. It's just changing their world overnight. It's phenomenal. And what they'll be doing, because it's cheap and fast and easy, will then probably come over here to the legacy Europe and the legacy yes. America, bearing in mind our systems are typically developed and implemented in the 1970s. Yeah, of course, legacy systems, a big excuse and problem that a lot of companies put forward when challenged around technology. So what do we do in the UK? If you're a, if you're a small medium-sized financial advisor firm you know let's let's be honest a lot of the technology that they have might just be restricted to a website they may use some sort of advice software like voyant but beyond that you know there's nothing radical happening so how do we start to adopt these new technologies when the majority of us are of an age we're definitely not millennials in my, i'm just about generation x you know i think what it starts with is saying if we were building our business today how would we build it imagine that you didn't have anything 
in existence right now, where would you start? And I would start with the, the customer yeah. and, the, and the customer interaction and how they deal with their lives and think around, well, how can I help them live their lives smarter and uh, more intelligently with technology? And how would I build my relationship through technology with them? And then map that out as a vision of the next generation of my company and compare that with how near the current company is to that vision that you've mm. developed. And it's a difficult thing to do. Um, and I'm not saying that everyone can, can, can do this, but it really does start with knowing a, a few things. So for example, knowing that you will no longer have a vertically integrated end-to-end -end business because there is no control of the end-to-end -end cycle of the structure of the business anymore. Specialist companies are doing one thing brilliantly well and where can we find them? How can we partner with them? How do we bring them into our business? And equally, how do we create new services? Because nearly every product that we offer today will not be making any money in 10 years, mm -hmm. you know, guaranteed, because every product is being reimagined with technology. Most of our kids will be doing jobs in 20 years that haven't even been invented yet. So how do we reimagine everything into a future that at least gives us a good chance of keeping customers, keeping relationships and being ahead of the competition and being ahead of the new startups? Needs quite a lot of bravery as well, doesn't it? Because in effect, they're going to have to probably throw away quite a lot of the stuff that was built in the 70s. And there'll be a lot of resistance to that. Yeah, and there'll be a lot of resistance to what technology is doing generally mm. in that um, Citibank say one in three bank jobs will disappear by 2025. Deutsche Bank CEO says that half of his people will be laid off because they're just abacuses who don't do any <laughs> added value. Yeah, and, and when you hear that, you know, there, there is no job for life anymore in financial no, services. No. They never, they used to be because it was a very traditional, quiet, risk-avoiding, stable business. It is not anymore. You know, I mean, you only have to look at what's happening with cryptocurrencies in 2017 to say something is starting to change the, the world. And in fact, Keanu Reeves is in their headlines today saying that Bitcoin will d destroy the new world order. As in, <laughs> we, we don't have the structure and stability that we used to have because technology is transforming. It's revolutionizing everything. There was always this joke within the financial services companies that I used to work in that the only jobs that were guaranteed safe forever were those of the actuaries, the people who... Um, work out the risk but again you know in the future I, I can see that that job I could, I, I could automate that yeah. <laughs> I mean they say the only certainties in life are death and taxes and I can automate that as well absolutely right interesting you should just mention Bitcoin there uh, a lot of talk about that at the moment cryptocurrencies blockchain I can't say I understand it um, in great detail myself and and again there's a lot of people getting on the bandwagon I could download 15 different books today to tell me how to become a Bitcoin expert and to invest in Bitcoin. And obviously, some of that will be legitimate. Some of it will probably be a scam. Some of it will be based on expert knowledge. Some of it won't be. And again, it's quite com quite confusing for the man on the street, isn't it, with all this technical talk going on around these issues? Well, I'd recommend that you buy a book called Value Web by Chris Skinner that talks a lot about <laughs> blockchain. Um, good, and good basically, <laughs> the blockchain technology that came out of Bitcoin is actually transformational. Yes. Um, it's going to be something that builds the whole way in which we look at government, business, and commerce and finance in the next decade. And uh, by way of example, it's already moving into the mainstream um, because, uh, as an illustration, the Australian Stock Exchange will be doing clearing and settlement in distributed 
ledger technology based on blockchain next year live and in, in production mm-hmm. um, so this is a technology that's um probably going to be as big a change as the actual introduction of the internet mm-hmm. um but it is incredibly confusing mainly because it came out of something that everyone thought was uh, a disturbing development called bitcoin that could undermine governments and banks and is viewed as being only uh, relevant to criminals <laughs> um at, which is not true by the way mm-hmm. um and equally there's over 1500 cryptocurrencies around today how the hell do you work out which ones are actually worthwhile and what i would say is ethereum which is the second largest cryptocurrency behind bitcoin is definitely worth you looking at in depth because Mm -hmm. it's um the one that a lot of the financial firms are investing in uh and microsoft is leading to offer blockchain as a service to companies like jp morgan and goldman sachs look at the hyperledger which is the ibm distributed ledger technology developments because if ibm is behind it then obviously it's going to have relevance and interest in the corporate community and i I personally don't encourage people to buy bitcoins but if you want to buy them go ahead john mcafee says it would be worth a million dollars per coin by 2020 or he'll eat his genitals (laughs) i personally wouldn't go that far myself Um, but you know it it, just do not put money into these currencies that you can't afford to lose because they're likely to go down as, as go up Indeed. I think I I picked up the whole issue that blockchain was the important technology development and that Bitcoin was more of the hype. And and, and that's quite that's quite interesting. It is difficult these days, especially with so much information out there and also media hype as well doesn't help. It is actually difficult to sift through all the media hype to actually find the real truth about things. So I'll definitely point to your book in the show notes for the podcast for people who are very interested in finding out exactly what blockchain and what Bitcoin is. Chris, as we come to the end of our conversation, one of the things I also like to discuss with my guests on the podcast is, and I'm sure that you'll have loads of answers to this question, but just try to pick one. Has there been a product or a marketing campaign that's caught your attention in the last year or so that's really made you sit up and think, wow, I'd like to have a bit of that? I mean, I can't name a specific marketing campaign that's uh, caught my attention um, in in any major way. Um, From a product perspective, uh, I guess the iPhone X um, is something that everyone is looking at in with interest because of the facial recognition aspect of what's mm-hmm. in that uh, product. Um, so it tends to be when you know when you see uh, a new product coming out that can change authentication, yeah, um, make it easy to bring customers on board. Then to me, those are specifically ones I'm always looking out for. And part of the reason is that I try to open a bank account for my children uh, in my uh, joint name of myself and my wife recently. And the bank manager said, oh, I'm sorry, your wife doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> and it, basically, her passport expired and she doesn't pay any u- utility bills. This is a ridiculous way to live in the you know, 21st century, second decade of. So we're going to see a lot of biometric technologies and smartphones taking over the whole customer onboarding process. And uh, I mean, Apple's leading the way on that front with the iPhone X, but we'll see a lot more of that coming out over the next year. I'm just waiting for my iPhone X to arrive. Problem is I keep getting texts from Vodafone to say that the supplier, they don't actually mention Apple by name, the supplier still hasn't supplied them with enough cop- with enough um, uh, units to, to ship. And And finally, What's the best business book you've read recently? And you are allowed to plug your own book if you want to. Well, I'd say 
the new book coming out in March is called Digital Human about this mm -hmm. fourth revolution in humanity. And the first revolution in humanity was actually becoming human, becoming Homo sapiens. Mm -hmm. So my favorite book of the recent years is Sapiens by uh, Yuval Noah Hariri. Um, and if you haven't read it, it explains the history of uh, humanity, basically, and how we got to where we are today, because 200,000 years ago, there were six other forms of human on Earth, and we're the only ones that are left today. Right. Why? And the book explains that. Uh, I wouldn't recommend the sequel, Homo Deus, because it's rather depressing. <laughs> um, but apart from that, um, my other favorite book at the moment is Treconomics, the economics of Star Trek. Oh, uh, and the reason is, is that uh, I believe the future is going to be fantastic. I'm looking forward to uh, traveling space, which I'm fairly sure will happen before I uh, pop my clogs. And um, the vision of Star Trek, and I only realized this as I read Trekonomics, is hugely optimistic. It's a utopian vision, whereas Star Wars is a dystopian mm, vision yes. where everyone's killing each other. Yes. Star Trek is all about abundance, love, prosperity. So read Trekonomics and Sapiens. I've had so many occasions where I've sat in a BA lounge, particularly after coming back from a long-haul flight into Heathrow, where I've got to wait for that final flight back up to Edinburgh, where I could have just loved to have been able to say, can you just beam me home? That would have Absolutely. been so good. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. If anybody's listening to the show and they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to find out more about you? Website, Twitter, whatever it might be. Yeah, I should have said that being in Edinburgh, you, would say, you need to say, beam me up, Scotty. Um, <laughs> exactly. But the best way to find me is uh, through the blog, thefinancer.com, uh, or alternatively on Twitter, Chris underline Skinner. Uh, equally, I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, you name it, you'll find me. Great stuff. Chris, thanks for, so much for coming on the podcast. Fascinating discussion. I've learned lots, and hopefully everybody listening to the show today has learned lots as well. Let me wish you every success for the future and, of course, for the book coming out next year. Thank you, Roger. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and books and topics we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business. <laughs> <laughs>